Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Christian Skeptic. I'm your host, Sean Kerwin, and as always, it's my mission to take an honest look at our questions about Christianity through the lens of logic and reason. I'm not here to preach at you, just to start a conversation with you. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, fellow skeptics, and welcome to another edition of The Christian Skeptic. It's been a little while since my last episode, so I thought maybe I'd start off with a brief explanation. Not that I feel like I really need to explain myself when I take a month off from recording, but I took a month off from recording. And that's because I had some travel and wanted to celebrate my fifth wedding anniversary with my wife. Woohoo! And also, I am embarking on a new journey of education, and that being in the form of a master's degree in engineering. And so from time to time, I may take a week or two off here and there. And while I will try my hardest to be consistent for you guys, because I I really do care about answering your questions and addressing these objections to Christianity and having these conversations that we've had now for, gosh, like a year now. (laughs) Happy one year anniversary to us having a conversation. Um, Well, I want to continue that and continue um, being as diligent as I can with that. The pursuit of a master's degree, as well as just life happening, may get in the way of that from time to time. So if I go a couple weeks without posting an episode, know that I really do still love and care about you guys and want to keep recording as much as I can. And I will eventually get back to you and get back to more objections, questions, reason, logic, philosophies, history, and exposition of the Bible. And so with that being said, let's jump into today's topic, which is the question... Why don't we still see miracles in our day and age? It's actually a question that I got a lot when I was a pastor, and one that even now, from time to time, friends will ask me, and that's the reality that we read in the Bible, especially in the times of Jesus, of miracles happening. And not just Jesus performing miracles either. The apostles performed miracles, Elijah performed miracles, Elisha, his successor, performed miracles as well. We see Moses performing miracles in the Bible. And then back to Jesus, he said to his disciples that they would be given the same power he has to perform miracles, to heal people, to open blind eyes, to speak in tongues, to see signs and wonders. And I know what day and age we're in, and I know that there are lots of churches, mega churches even, that have this practice of speaking in tongues or healing. I know of one such church in California that a requirement to go through their school of ministry or whatever it is they call it out there is that the students speak in tongues and also perform a healing. As a matter of fact, this church that I'm thinking of, and I'm not going to mention them, but they're a very popular worship group um, that is also a name of a church out in California, but where some churches, and even the church that I was a part of, have street evangelism ministries where you send a team of dedicated servants out into the street and they just have conversations with people and it's really casual and fun and engaging and you get to talk about truth and deeper questions. Well, this one church in California that I'm thinking of in particular has a similar ministry, but it's a healing ministry where they send people who volunteer for this ministry out onto the streets and the beaches from their church to nearby areas around their church, and they tasked these volunteers with performing healings and speaking to random people in tongues. And as you can well imagine, the reason I'm not mentioning the name of this church is because that's really freaking weird. And I don't quite feel like being divisive 
So for the sake of kindness, I'm not going to mention their name, but that's weird, right? To say you can't be a part of this church, you can't receive proper formal ministry training unless you've gone out into the streets of California and the beaches and performed healing on people that didn't necessarily ask for it. I mean, maybe they wanted it and maybe the healings are actually legit, but I don't know. Sounds a little weird. But anyway, I'm not just here to bash a church. But that does bring up a larger question of why don't we see that more? Why don't the normal churches see that more, right? If, if this church is really weird for having this weird kind of spooky spiritual healing ministry, why don't normal churches see it more? Why don't normal pastors perform healings more? And I'll get a little personal here at the start of this episode. Look, when I was a pastor, I got called to hospital visits. I got called to deathbeds. I got calls where I would go and pray with the family of someone who was in a motorcycle accident or had cancer that was in its final terminal stages, or simply to family members that were in their late 80s, late 90s, and reaching the end of their lives. And look, I've stood on the side of a lot of deathbeds of old and young people, and I've prayed prayers asking if it would be the Lord's will for him to perform a miracle, for him to heal someone. And I'll be honest, I've never seen it happen standing on the side of someone's deathbed. Now, of course, I've had the experience, and I think many of us have, where a loved one or a friend gets sick, gets a, an ailment that maybe isn't life-threatening, and you pray, and you pray for the Lord to take care of them or for the Lord to heal them, and then a week or two later, they're back to normal, and they're healthy again. And we could just as easily write that off and say, well, it was modern medicine, or it was just rest, or it was an ailment that maybe was a little more than the common cold, but still wasn't entirely uncommon. And so that's not really a miracle. And to that objection, I would actually probably agree with you. Listen, I kind of liken it to the phrase, and you've heard it, I've heard it, I hate it, please don't ever say it around me, but the phrase, the miracle of birth, right? Uh, this idea that somehow bringing a child into the world is a miracle. And don't get me wrong, bringing a child into the world is a very beautiful thing. The, the gift that God has given us of human life and Gosh, just the fact that a human can grow inside of another human is a very, very beautiful, wonderful thing. I mean, the Bible says it's it's fearful and wonderful, and I completely agree. It's magnificent. It's beautiful how God does this, but it's not a miracle, right? <laughs> because we can explain it. We can explain it scientifically. Look, a miracle must be something without scientific explanation. If scientific explanation falls under the guise of naturalism, as C.S. Lewis so eloquently put it in his book Miracles, then miracles must fall under supernaturalism, or that which is outside of nature. And to Lewis's point, let's get a little philosophical here, because uh, I like doing that. I know you guys probably like doing that as well. But Lewis says in his book Miracles that if naturalism is to be accepted, and we have a right to demand that every single thing should be accepted that we see in general, how it could be explained in terms of the total system. If any one thing exists which is of such a kind that we see in advance the impossibility of ever giving it that kind of explanation, then naturalism would be in ruins. If necessities of thought force us to allow to any one thing any degree of independence from the total system, if any one thing makes good a claim to be on its own, to be something more than an expression of the character of nature as a whole, then we have abandoned naturalism. For by naturalism we mean the doctrine that only nature, the whole interlocked system, exists. And if that were true, everything and event would 
if we knew enough, be explicable without remainder as a necessary product of the system, the whole system being what is. It ought to be a contradiction in terms if you were not reading this book at the moment. And conversely, the only cause why you are reading it ought to be that the whole system at such and such a place and hour was bound to take that course. So in other words, what Lewis is basically saying here is that to say there are no miracles is to say that naturalism then is the only explanation for life, that what happens in nature is, simply. That's it. Nature is, and there is nothing outside of nature. Well, don't you see that that really ends up becoming circular reasoning in and of itself? So, and I'll get to the point why miracles don't happen today, but first we, we really need to answer the question, can miracles happen, period? Because if miracles don't happen today, and that's really our, our doubt or our skepticism towards Christianity, and we don't have a good answer for that, then it does beg the underlying question of are miracles even possible at all, right? And as Lewis wrote, and as I just read, to assume miracles are not possible is to assume the position of complete and total naturalism. But can't you see that naturalism is in and of itself circular reasoning? So essentially what naturalism does is it corners nature and forces it to be a system, which ultimately nature is a system. It's a system with the purpose of sustaining and creating life. You're a part of nature. I'm a part of nature. Everything you see around you is a part of nature, even those things which appear to be unnatural, i.e. the man-made things. The metal laptop that I'm recording on right now, the wooden desk that I am sitting at, all came from nature. They're all elements to be found within nature. And so nature is a system, but the question then remains, is it a closed system or an open system? Meaning, is it a system that is completely sealed off within itself, or is it a system that is open? In other words, is there something X nature, right? Or outside of nature, or as Lewis just said, supernatural. And of course, as we've talked about in another episode, nature had a beginning. The world had a beginning. And so therefore, it is circular reasoning to imagine the creation of nature within nature itself. In other words, if there is a closed system, the system cannot create itself within a closed system. Something outside of the closed system must create itself, which is totally fine and makes complete sense, especially from an engineering or a physics or a thermodynamics standpoint. But the problem comes when we put it into a metaphysical standpoint, or in other words, when we're discussing the concept of nature itself, in that the very act of creating nature, if naturalism be true, which in other words is to say, if miracles do not happen, the very act of creating nature must have acted within the confines of nature itself. In other words, the very act of creating nature must have been itself nothing of supernatural sorts. Therefore, since that does not make any sense and is itself breaking the law of non-contradiction as laid out by the philosopher Aristotle, the very creation of nature, whether a god was present in it or not, must itself be a miracle. Because it must be supernatural. It must be outside of nature. So god or no god, you must believe in miracles. If you're to have any rational thought, the Big Bang was a miracle. Again, if there was no God, and the odds were astronomically stacked up against the Big Bang actually happening, and every theory of the Big Bang 
is in and itself just a theory of how it could have physically happened. Nothing explains the why, and it is still a miracle because it is supernatural or outside of the laws of nature. Again, naturalism plays on this idea that we can observe everything that happens in nature. We can record, analyze, and reduce it, right? Naturalism is absolutely a child of reductionist scientific theory, as we've talked about in other episodes. So therefore, it's logical to believe in miracles. Or at the very least, it's logical to believe in the first miracle, which is that something could come from nothing, again, whether there's a God present or not. Therefore, then, it is logical to believe that if one miracle could happen, a second one has a possibility of happening. And we'll leave probability out of this discussion as to how likely a miracle is or isn't, because I think that that is kind of an absurd question, because what you're asking then is statistically, within nature, how can I boil down a chance, a probability of something happening without nature or outside of nature while using terms and calculations that are inside of nature? So that actually just doesn't work. Again, we're breaking the law of non-contradiction. Okay, I've wasted a lot of time on that in this podcast, so let's get back to the question of the day, which is why can't miracles happen today? Or let me rephrase that. Why don't miracles happen today? Theologically speaking, miracles can totally happen today. You see, in the New Testament, when Jesus gave commandments or instructions, probably is a better way to phrase it, to his disciples on what they would do, uh, the biggest one I'm thinking of is what theologians call the Great Commission, right? Which he tells his disciples, the 12 and probably the others that saw him rise, that the Bible says that there was about 500, give or take, maybe 40 or 50. So well, let's just say 540 conservatively. The 540 people that saw him rise from the dead, he told them to go into all the world and to make disciples of every tribe, tongue, and nation, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's at the end of uh, a couple of the gospel accounts. It's what the book of Acts opens up with. And yet, today we apply that commandment to us as believers. And this is across denominations, right? This isn't just evangelicals or non-denominationals or Baptists or Methodists. Across denominations, if you call yourself a Christian, you apply this commandment to yourself. Go into all the world and make disciples. It's what we call evangelism. Right? It's what we call sharing. It's what we call the invitation to come and know Christ. It's the very thing that fuels this podcast, right? to even talk about these things and have these conversations and question and be skeptics. So then it does stand a reason then that when Jesus says to his disciples that when they go out and do these things, that they'll be given power, that they'll be given a measure of the Holy Spirit to be able to heal, to be able to perform miracles and signs and wonders for people. So can we also take that commandment as believers in the 21st century? Yeah, I believe absolutely we can. I don't think there's any logical reason why we can't take that commandment. So then the next logical thing to do is if you take that commandment literally is to then pray for the miracles, right? Because that's what we see in the Bible. That's what people did. That's what Jesus instructed them to do, to pray for the Holy Spirit to do the work of the Holy Spirit, right? Which is to convict people of sin, bring people to Christ, and from time to time perform miracles as it fulfills those other purposes. So why don't we? Well, I am speaking from the United States of America. I know by my podcast metrics that I am speaking to a lot of other people in the United States of America. 
I know I have lots of listeners in Canada and Ireland and other parts of Europe. Shout out to you guys. You all rock. But generally, we have a similarity in culture in Europe, in North America, in a majority of South America. And that's that. We're a materialistic culture. We are a culture that loves naturalism. We're a culture that says, if I can't see it with my eyes, I'm skeptical of it. I'm doubtful of it. Even a lot of times, I don't believe it. I think back to <laughs> when I was a kid and it was around Christmas time and, and all these Christmas movies were always on TV, right? All these movies about Santa Claus. And one of the main messages of Santa Claus was seeing isn't believing, believing is seeing, right? And it seems heartwarming and cute. And then eventually it kind of just feels like you grow out of that, right? Like that, that's our culture. That's our materialistic culture. Did you know that only 1% of the population of the world makes over $32,000 a year? So if that's you, you're the top 1% of the world. You're rich, right? Even if you made less than that, chances are you're the top 10% of the world. You are rich. Your life is filled with materialism. The, uh, the gentleman that run the, the minimalist blog posts and books and all that stuff and the documentary on Netflix, they did a study where they found that the average American has th over 300,000 items in their home. Tell me we're not materialistic, right? Well, there's a reality that materialism blinds you spiritually. And let me say that again and put that more in Lewis terms, right? When you're materialistic, what you're focusing on is what's tangible, what you can see, what you can touch, what you can eat, what you can behold, what you can feel, drive, move, the things you live around, your environment. Well, what is that other than lazy naturalism? Right? If, if naturalism is a philosophy and is a science that questions and seeks to be skeptical of the material world around and is a science that doesn't focus on the metaphysical or the supernatural, then what is materialism other than just lazy naturalism? If we spend all of our lives focusing on the physical, if we spend all of our lives focusing on the material, if the things that matter most to us are those things that are tangible, then we've lost sight of the spiritual. And so then, <laughs> I mean, you would think, and, and I even asked the question of, okay, well, if we've lost sight to the spiritual and we're more materialistic, then wouldn't a miracle in the United States or in Europe or in Canada or in <laughs> any materialistic culture where the average salary is above $32,000 a year and convert that to whatever currency you want, but wouldn't it stand to reason then that a miracle would be that much more powerful in those places? Perhaps, but wouldn't it also stand to reason then that if you're in a society like that, if you're in a society of naturalists and lazy naturalists, which I'm not, uh, I'm not calling anyone out on here. This is the pot calling the kettle black here because I'm a part of the society as well. I'm a materialist as well. I guarantee if I were to count the material possessions that uh, my wife and I have, it would probably end up somewhere in the ballpark of 300,000, just like the average person has. But wouldn't it stand to reason then? That in a materialistic or lazy naturalistic society, that if a miracle happens, we would want explanation. You see, there's a stark contrast between the culture 
of Israel and ancient Rome in the Bible in which these, and, and even before that, Canaan, right? Um, but there's a stark contrast between that culture in which these miracles happened and our culture today. You see, back then, culture, whether it was pagan or Jewish or anything in between, culture looked and saw rain on fields and crops as a blessing. They said God or the gods must be pleased. They must have loved our sacrifice this last week because they sent rain. And that's going to grow our crops. And that's going to give us food. And that's going to give us money. It's going to give us protection. It's going to give us security. We look out at the sky. We see rain. And what do we do? We check the weather. And we look at the radar. And we look at the weather patterns. And we look at the high-pressure systems and the low-pressure systems. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's a difference of mentality. You see, cultures back then, a plague would happen. People would get sick, a pandemic, if I can be so bold as to use that word, would happen. And they said, God or the gods must be mad. What can we do to repent? What can we do to better please them? Our culture, we get sick, a plague happens, dare I say a pandemic happens, and we say, what can we do to fix this? How can science triumph this? What we are doing is naturalistic. Oh, if, if, I, if I wear a mask, will that prevent me from getting the inoculum levels that will cause me to have this virus and send, my, send, send me to the hospital? No, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be doing that. Please don't mishear me on that. There is wisdom in that. But our culture doesn't turn to prayer and then that, which would be the proper order of things, by the way. You see, in God's economy... And read the book of Exodus. Prove me wrong on this if, if you want, right? But read the book of Exodus because in God's economy, it's turn to God first, listen to what God has to say first, and then go kill the Passover lamb and paint the blood on your door to prevent yourself from becoming a victim of this pandemic, right? Our culture doesn't do that. Our culture doesn't say, oh gosh, there's a pandemic, there's a virus, there's a disease, there's a plague, there's a whatever going around. Let's pray, let's hear what God has to say first, and then let's do everything rational and reasonable and within our power to do, because that would actually be the proper biblical order of things. No, instead we say, what can we do to fix this? What can we do to solve this? How can we reduce this and cure it? And I'm thankful for the for everything. I'm thankful for science. I'm thankful for vaccinations. I'm thankful for protocol and for caring for people and setting up proper boundaries so we can do all these things. We just don't have a proper order. And so then, therefore, doesn't it stand to reason that if you prayed in a hospital for someone to be cured of cancer and the test came back the next day, and the doctor said, we can't explain it, but they're cured. In our culture, the typical first reaction would be how. How did this happen? It would be joy. You would be so glad to get that diagnosis or that reversal of a diagnosis, right? But it would be, let's run some more tests. Let's make sure. You see, 2,000 years ago, they would have just said, praise God. And everyone was spiritual. And everyone would have known that what had taken place was supernatural. And therefore, everyone knowing that what had taken place was supernatural would have said, though they probably would have believed in different pagan gods, they would have said, whichever god you prayed to, that must be the one true god. Tell me about this god. I want to know this one and worship this one. Because, yeah, we read about miracles in the New Testament, and even here and there sprinkled throughout the Old Testament, but 
The Bible never says that miracles were actually common back in the day. Actually, that's what makes them miracles is how uncommon they were. Because they didn't have science to explain healing from diseases back in the day. It was either blessing if you healed or cursing if you didn't. And so God, throughout all of history, has been selective with miracles. And that's something that you have to notice about Jesus. You see, the gospel writers say he didn't heal every sick person he came into contact with. Paul, God's golden boy church planner in all of the New Testament, right, wrote most of it. He had an affliction, and God would not heal him. And so then it stands to reason that the, the theological principle behind this is that God doesn't waste a miracle. Miracles are meant to reveal the glory of God, not to make our lives more comfortable, is the principle. It's tough. It sucks to say, yes, God's a good God. Yes, he wants to bless us. Yes, he's loving. But we got it cushy in this country. And I've heard stories of miracles actually happening in Western civilization, in our materialistic civilization. So that's not to say they don't happen. I think that we can just dispel that part of the question altogether. I think they do happen. I just think that they're very, very, very rare. Because if God makes our lives more comfortable, most of us won't turn to him in comfort. Most of us won't turn to him in blessing. Lately, I've been doing this challenge where you read the entire Bible in 90 days, right? And it's a lot of reading every single day. But one thing I've noticed is that sometimes God has to let life suck for us in order for us to really live out his will and his purpose and us to really become the people he wants us to become. And so I've rambled on long enough. This episode is definitely over, so it's time to wrap it up. But suffice it to say, miracles do happen in our day and age. And maybe we can revisit this conversation later because I do know that in more impoverished countries, countries that are more likely to turn to supernatural and spiritual things, miracles aren't as rare there as they are here. They're rare, but they do happen here. But miracles aren't for our benefit. Miracles are meant for us to glorify God, whether life is cushy, comfortable, pleasant, or not. But hey, let me know what you think. Have you ever witnessed a miracle? And please don't say the miracle of birth. Birth is awesome. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. But it's not a miracle. But anyway, let me know. Do you agree? Do you disagree? What are your thoughts? You got more questions? Let's continue this conversation. And as always, thank you so much for listening. And I hope you've enjoyed the show.